This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kamaregal people of the Gurungai tribe of the Eora Nation. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging, and I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may be listening. Hi, my name's Luanne and this is the Rewritten Mead podcast, where I talk all things breast reconstruction after a mastectomy. Because let's say it like it is, having a mastectomy can be devastating. Sifting through all the information is overwhelming, the medical jargon's bamboozling, and it can be just plain scary and lonely. But you're not alone. That's why we're here. On the Rewritten Me pod, I talk to leading surgeons about all aspects of reconstruction. Nipples, belly buttons, foobs, Dieppe flap, and staying flat. I also talk to healthcare professionals who can help with everyday practical advice to support your mental, physical and emotional well-being. And I talk to the wonderful women from our reconstruction community who so generously share their stories with you. We're all here to help you make an holistic, informed decision that's right for you so that you can have a say in how you rewrite your story. Hi everyone, welcome back to Rewritten Me. When you're told you have breast cancer, that you need a mastectomy, and that you need to choose what reconstruction you want, it's completely overwhelming. It's an emotional and confusing time, and you're being asked to make a really big decision about your body when you're most vulnerable. I was completely at a loss when I received my diagnosis, and I was given a list of surgeons and the hospitals that they worked in. I'm from the UK and I wasn't used to being in a decision-making position where I could choose a medical professional. And I thought I was being really clever when I looked down the list and I asked the doctor, so who would you choose? They said to me, well, everybody on the list is a good surgeon, which they absolutely were, but it didn't help me at all. And I really didn't fully understand the difference between a breast surgeon and a reconstructive plastic surgeon. Whether you're having an immediate or delayed breast reconstruction, and whether that's because of a cancer diagnosis or because you're a carrier of a genetic variant, who do you need to speak to? And what information do you need to gather from them so that you can make a decision about all the options that are available to you? In today's episode, I'm talking to Dr. Kirsten Mateff about the role of a reconstructive plastic surgeon in relation to breast reconstruction and what to talk to them about when you first meet them so that you can make a fully informed decision. Dr. Kirsten Mateff is a fully trained and experienced aesthetic plastic and reconstructive surgeon. Dr. Kirsten was awarded Fellowship of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons in Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery in 2016. Born and raised in Sydney, she relocated to Newcastle in 2017 and in 2019 opened Aspire Plastic Surgery. Dr. Kirsten is committed to providing caring, informed surgical care to patients in Newcastle and Greater Hunter region. She has been appointed to John Hunter Hospital as part of the Plastic and Reconstructive Service for Hunter New England Health. She is also a member of the Head and Neck, Melanoma and Breast Multidisciplinary Treatment Teams. And Dr. Kirsten and the team at Aspire actively work to raise awareness of breast reconstruction. They were keen participants in the first ever Bravo Art campaign in 2022 to promote Breast Reconstruction Awareness Day. So welcome, Dr. Kirsten. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Great to see you on this beautiful winter's day. It's a bit chilly up here. I don't know what it's like down there. Yeah, so, so, yeah, it's quite chilly here too. For listeners who may not be aware of, of the geography of where we're at, um, Newcastle, which is Newcastle, Australia, New South Wales, Australia, is a little bit north from Sydney. But it's sunny, which is what's good. So I thought we'd start off with what might seem like a bit of an impertinent question, Dr. Kirsten, and it is, what does a reconstructive plastic surgeon do? What do you do? <laughs> so, yes, I guess yeah, a, there's a lot of shows around that portray plastic surgeons as being just all about beauty and making yourself um, look more beautiful and keeping up with the the stars, as we call it. But um, the main 
um, thrust of all plastic surgery is actually reconstruction. So um, back in the World War II era, um, plastic surgery was born as a subspecialty um, and it really came out of some really horrific um, injuries that were people were sustained during that time. And so we developed certain techniques um, in order to um, make somebody whole again. And so that's where not only trauma but also cancer treatments came into place where we began reconstructing people, so using other parts of your body um, as well as plastic, which is plastic just means to form. Um, so it comes from the word plastikos. It's a Greek word that's to form or to shape. Um, so when you think about what we're trying to recreate when we take away something or something is taken away from us um, in terms of trauma or cancer, we're looking at what are the basic aesthetics of that unit um, that we're then going to try and replace. And in most cases, what we're trying to do, to do is to replace like for like. So mm. colour, texture, you know, do we need muscles? Do we need nerves? You know, what sort of, what area has been affected by the cancer or the trauma and what do we need to do to replace it to be as close as we can to, to normal um, so that person can fit back within society, can be functional um, and can feel whole again. Um, so that's really where plastic surgery came from. So I always like mentioning that our whole title is actually plastic and reconstructive surgery because a lot of people forget the reconstructive side of it. But that's yeah. where, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of my interest lies in is head and neck and melanoma and breast because that's really, it's so satisfying when you can reconstruct somebody, you can give them back what they've lost because they feel half of themselves. They don't feel complete. Um, mm. So, but that is obviously a journey for everybody. It will happen at different stages and at different times. And obviously the urgency of that will depend on what is happening with that particular person at the time as well. So that's pretty much where plastics comes from. Um, but yeah, everybody mm. sort of uh, you know, some of the shows that have been portraying plastic surgeons have not always been completely flattering to all the rest of the stuff that we do and no. very easy to forget where we came from. So the roots of where plastic surgery came from was, um, you know, sort of some really horrific injuries and, mm. you know, we we don't see as many of those these days, although, you know, obviously with what's happening in the world now, um, we probably do see a few more than we would like to. But, um, you know, it, it goes from congenital deformities such as cleft lip and palate um, is another really mm big one that we do um and all the way through to trauma and cancer work and then but you need to have a good understanding of what is aesthetically pleasing or what does that body part do in functioning um in order to be able to understand and then recreate it which is why plastic surgery also goes into aesthetics because you need to understand a normal variant you need to understand mm. what creates normal um what are the normal ligaments what are the normal positions how does a you know with breast reconstruction how does a normal breast look what are the aesthetics of a breast um you know and obviously body shape also affects that but um it's a really good way of thinking about when you're wanting to reconstruct something what is it that makes up those parts first before you're going to be mm. trying to reconstruct it okay great great thank you so much for explaining that and you know i'm going to say something that might sound really silly now but i'm just going to say it I didn't realise where the word plastics came from, right? Mm. So I thought that was something to do that maybe in the history that you, I don't know, use some form of material or something mm. that was plastics. Yeah. So I didn't realise that was why that term was in there. Well, everybody assumes it's because of the silicon. <laughs> They're always like, oh, it's because of the breast implants. And I'm like, mm, it is plastic, yes, uh, but that's not where it came from. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's to mould or to shape is where the original word came from. And mm. so I do like sort of correcting people because it's it's that false impression of, um, you know, what obviously people now understand to be plastic. You know, we've got, you know, mm. a huge problem with plastic now. So uh, people mm. automatically assume that that's actually where the word came from. But, um, yeah, it's it's interesting when you actually look back at the history of where subspecialties come from or where they were created or born from and what their mm. aim and intention is and I think that's mm. it, it does go back to the heart of what um, the subspecialty is there to do um, for people. Okay. Yeah and you mentioned their um, intention so the intention is to recreate a form of um, breast in breast reconstruction yeah. so if a patient is talking to a, um, a reconstructive plastic surgeon would they be talking to them about having the mastectomy? Where where does that part of that treatment sit with? Yeah, so generally I like to think of it as two parts. So you have your cancer treatment and you have your reconstructive treatment. And, look, 
Some surgeons will do parts of both of those. Um, so, but commonly we will work with a breast surgeon who performs the cancer portion of the operation and then we come in and fix up what's left. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. look, obviously this will depend on, one, the size of breast that you have to start off with so and the size of cancer. Um, so obviously the proportion of those two will determine as to whether you can um, get away with a wide local excision um, and so that's breast conserving surgery so that you've got enough breast tissue that the cancer is small enough that you can just take out a small proportion of it and then do a breast rearrangement so that you know a plastic surgeon may not be involved in that type of surgery um, and in terms of the nodal disease and then whether you need to have post-operative radiotherapy or chemotherapy. Um, so that is sort of you know, one pathway that a patient might go down as opposed to a patient who has, say, a smaller breast but with a bigger cancer or um, a bigger breast but with a, still with a big cancer that the, the surgeon then decides that from a cancer oncological point of view that you need to have the breast removed and then that's the mastectomy. The mastectomy part can then be broken into whether you retain your skin envelope and the nipple or whether the nipple and the skin envelope needs to be reduced. Um, again, this depends on the size and shape of the breast that you have. So if you have a very large pendulous breast, then making a nice breast out of a very a very saggy breast that is sitting too low already is really, really difficult. So you're going to need to remove that, that, that excess tissue, the extra skin that's going to be left over in order to reduce the breast to a more reasonable shape that you can then fill. Um, and then I guess you, so you can think of the skin envelope and what you're left with, and this will be um, dependent on whether it's decided to have an immediate or a delayed reconstruction. So um, there are, I guess there are lots of variables, and obviously this is why it's quite mm. overwhelming for women to consider all these options. Um, some women say, look, just take it off. I'll deal with what I have to deal with later, and then we'll come back and reconstruct. Um mm. In some ways, that is reasonable, particularly if they're not sure whether they need to have post-operative radiotherapy, chemotherapy, um, their, their chances of survival. So obviously, they're coping with a whole lot of information that sometimes some women can just not psychologically cope with having to make all these decisions at once. Mm. From an aesthetic point of view and from a psychological point of view, we do know that women who are reconstructed at the time of their surgery for cancer actually have better psychological outcomes and we can actually get them a better aesthetic outcome as well. So even from if they're not quite sure, um, I would say you can still put a tissue expander in and you can still take it out later. So you, mm. what, from an aesthetic, you know, reconstructive point of view, the more skin I have to play with, the better mm. I can make your breast look rather than if all of the breast is just skin on your chest wall, which is what the traditional mastectomies are, and then you get irradiated, everything shrinks away and I don't have anything to play with. And so I've got to recreate that skin envelope with whatever I do, whether it be through bringing tissue from your back or bringing tissue from your belly. Um, those those options are then because I have to introduce tissue back in to cover what you've, what's been taken away. Um, so I guess it gets back to that principle of what have you lost and what are we trying to replace? Obviously, if we can try and preserve the skin envelope, that is better from an aesthetic and from a psychological point of view because you don't wake up with a flat chest. Um, mm. but, not, but in the same instance, some people just can't cope with all of that decision-making process. So I completely understand mm. when women go, look, I just couldn't handle it at the time and I just decided to have the mastectomies, get the cancer out and get on with mm. treatment, then consider coming back later and having that discussion um, and then there are other people who are like, no, I need all the information up front to make that decision. And I think this is where, you know, obviously being sensitive to patients and how they're feeling about their cancer diagnosis, because obviously that is the biggest thing in breast reconstruction is your cancer diagnosis, clearing the cancer, and then knowing, you know, what your chances of survival are, your risk of um, recurrence. Um, all of those are, I guess, more pressing, um, but I think we're moving much some of the treatment algorithms are also changing. So um, more commonly now we're doing preoperatively treating patients with radiotherapy and chemotherapy. So it's, it's shifting some of those treatments before you have your surgery and then doing the surgery shortly after you've completed those treatments. Now, from a planning point of view, that actually is a bit easier for us because <laughs> we yeah. have time. We have time to talk to the patients. We have time to say, hey, um, you know, what is it that you want? Patients have time to consider their options. And I think that just mm. that couple of weeks is is all that's needed for them to really sit on it, 
mull over the options and they go, okay, well, this is actually the best thing for me. Um, and so I think there's, um, you know, some of those treatment algorithms are working, um, but you may need to see a, a plastic surgeon even if you've had a wide local excision and radiotherapy. So I often see women who um, have had wide local excision and still got a significant breast asymmetry or say the wide local excision and radiotherapy has meant that their nipple and areola complex has then been retracted into the lateral position because that's where most of our breast cancers um, exist. And so you get this distortion, even though they've done what they needed to do with the original operation the cancer's gone they've had the radiotherapy it's the ongoing effects of the radiotherapy that may require treatment um, mm. so we see a lot of people who may have not lost their breast entirely but may need touch-ups or the other breast is heading south and they're like well they now are so different um, you know maybe mm. one or two cup sizes difference between um, the two breasts due to the cancer treatment that you need to do something to try and you know, marry things up to get the nipples at the same height, facing the right direction, um, you yeah. know, to, to try and make. And we know that there are some treatments that we can do now, um, such as fat grafting, which is really starting to revolutionise breast cancer treatment. And I think in the end will be one of our main treatment options um, mm -hmm. to soften all the outcomes of radiotherapy. So it brings new stem cells with it, which really has a softening effect on the fibrotic and constrictive nature of radiotherapy over time so um, look things are even changing in this space I think in the in the well hopefully not too distant future we may even have tissue engineering where you template out your breast shape you remove the breast you put a template in with you know growth factors and a whole lot of goodies in there um, we haven't quite figured out the good mix yet but then essentially we'll then let your blood flow come into that space and then we'll fill that with with fat from your own tissues and you will regenerate your tissues and mm. I think that's something very exciting we have we're not quite there yet and so that's why we do have all these other treatments of you know what do you fill the space with yeah um yeah. so it may be that you need you may decide to go for an implant um and look mm. it will suit certain people because they may not be suitable for other operations so mm. um you know a lot of the discussion between the the reconstructive side of things is looking at the patient's body habitus their lifestyle you know, what they feel about different treatments. Women are definitely moving away from a purely implant-based reconstruction. Um, mm. I think there's been a lot of, um, you know, just sort of want to try and get back to natural. But, again, it depends on what your aesthetics are, what you are wanting from your reconstruction. Um, in some ways, I, you know, try and give the silver lining of, look, if you've never liked your breast, this is the one chance where we have a <laughs> Maybe we can do something yeah, to make can, it better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, there are, so trying to make it that, you know, you have had a bad diagnosis of cancer, but what can we do to make it better? What is your ideals? You know, are your breasts too big, too small? Um, you know, what is your body shape? Do you have tissue that we can borrow from another area that will make you feel better about yourself as well? And I guess that's, you know, the free tissue transfer where we use your tummy is, you know, a lot of women are like, oh, I get a tummy tuck for free. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So there's, there's, good parts and bad parts about obviously needing to use things or some people are like look I'm just going to use an implant because I don't have tissue anywhere else and mm. I just want to have the shortest easiest route out to get something and I'm not particularly worried about you know whether it feels colder or harder or you know um, mm. every it, there's risks and benefits to every single thing that we do um, in life mm. but in you know obviously in surgery as well um, and it's really having that in detailed discussion and you know laying on the on the table all of the options that is available to that person and I may say to a person I'm sorry but I can't use that option for you it's not available so yeah. you know I have had women who have had previous abdominoplasties and they've you know destroyed all their perforators so you can't use their tummy because they've already chucked mm. half of it in the bin um mm. So it's just looking at what would be best for you in your situation with your background medical history you know are you a smoker do you have any other health um, comorbidities that may you know stop us from doing that form of surgery um, or would you be better off with a different type of surgery um, but until you have a discussion you don't know and I mm. think that's really where I feel quite passionately about you know some people may not be at that psychological place at the time of the diagnosis to have that discussion but just knowing that it's open to you um, to get in, to have a chance to have the discussion, and it may be as simple as just holding the space until you yes. have the chance to until. make a choice. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think 
I think that's really interesting as well that that discussion aspect of it being a two way thing mm. like you say you know if there if there is something that may be relation to your breast that's um not directly related to the cancer but you've not been happy about something that bring that to the discussion as well just have an open discussion about everything about what your hopes for the aesthetics yeah. are or um and if it's achievable or not you can you're not going to find out are you until you actually start to talk about it and i think i found that really interesting and new new for, for me to have the two-way dialogue I think yeah I think um, it's, with this plastic surgeon yeah it's it's sort of um I think also changing the the construct around informed consent so mm. look a lot of um this has been very topical lately but patients are much more active and they're much more proactive in terms of looking at their options and it really is a two it's not me saying you know, I, I will say, no, I'm not going to do an operation if I don't think it's in your best interest or that I don't think I can achieve what you your expectations are. You have to be very clear that you're both on the same page and what you're both, um, the outcomes that you can expect for these type of patients. But it really is a, okay, well, how much are you willing to go through to get mm. where you need to get to? Um, so there are some mm. patients who I'll present what they have to go through for a for a free flat reconstruction. They're like, oh no, I could not do that, you know. And it, yeah. it's completely off the cards, you know. And yeah. there are other patients who are, as I said, you you discuss the option that yes, they might be suitable for an implant. And they're like, I don't want any plastic in me, you know. I don't want any silicone in me. I just know that's not an option for me. Give me all the other ones. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it really and patients come with that inherent bias if you want to talk about it um or this inherent need of how they feel they want to look or what they want in their body um you know as as i said how they would like their body to be and um it just because it's a cancer operation doesn't mean that we dis uh, we, you don't consider those as really pertinent because that's going to affect them for the rest of their life and i've got a couple of young patients particularly the bracket patients who haven't had their kids yet um mm. who i'll say look probably using an implant at your stage is a good idea because we know that it only has a certain lifespan. It will need to be revised. It will need to be removed in the future. They don't last forever. I talk about implants being, you know, like a set of brakes. They they rupture, they break, they rotate, they get capsular contractions. So there's inherent problems with those, but by the same token, they can be useful for a certain period of your lifespan. So if you are young and you just sort of, you haven't had your kids and you're still, you know, doing all those things, but you want to reduce the risk of of the breast cancer, then it may be a temporizing solution. Um, it's a minimal downtime. It's not causing mm. any damage to any other part of your body because, you know, if I've got somebody who's planning on having children, I don't want to be opening up their belly and then them getting pregnant. Um, so mm. it's a real practical discussion half the time too, you know, how yeah. where is your weight sitting? And there are some people who have, you know, if they have a hernia, you know, you may mm. think twice about doing that form of reconstruction or if they are, if they do have a high BMI, um, it will be more risky mm. and they will be at greater risk and you may go, well, actually, we might be better off doing this or they don't have good perforators. So um, there's a whole range of um, issues that can crop up when you start talking to patients and that's where a really open, frank um, dialogue is really important with, with your patients and yeah. finding out what they want, what you can offer. Um, you know, and I think that's also, um, so I, that's part of the discussion of having two surgeons. So, um, mm. the breast surgeons, many of them can do certain operations, but they don't flick over into the other operations. And so I think, you know, to have a proper dis discussion, you need to have it with a person who performs that operation. So, mm. um, for instance, I don't do hernia operations, so I can discuss the risk of hernia and I may be able to solve some of them if they are, are small or they're reducible and I can just placate. Mm -hmm. But look, if it's a bigger thing, then I will get a general surgeon involved to help with that type of surgery. And we, we go backwards and forwards between whose area of expertise is best to talk about it and to deal with that particular problem. So mm -hmm. that's a very common thing in medicine overall um, yeah. in terms of certain people will deal with certain problems up to a certain point and then they'll flick it on after that so um yeah. it, it's it's variable yeah and and I think especially in the breast um cancer 
setting specifically if somebody is having treatment and they're seeing a breast surgeon we talk about shared decision making and sometimes we think possibly you know that's the patient and a surgeon but in this instance it might be it's a patient and two surgeons yeah. isn't it yeah. and and we don't see we don't always I have heard of um uh, dual uh consultations happening with both breast and uh, a reconstructive plastic surgeon but that's not normally the case so if you've got the patient and we've got the reconstructive plastic surgeon and the breast surgeon and we're having individual appointments with them how how does it all come together and how does it all get communicated (laughs) in the background and what are the back channels for the comms for that yeah so look most of the time we work so within my area health I know all the breast surgeons who are doing Mm. you know breast surgery um, we have the MDT or multidisciplinary team meetings um, so the patients are presented at those meetings um, mm. some of the meetings don't discuss reconstruction and look I'd really love to see them move more towards reconstruction at the time of diagnosis that does happen in other MDTs so the so the head and neck and the melanoma um, meetings mm. if you have you know you often discuss the patient it's before They've had any surgery often um, and you're deciding what they need to do. So a lot of MDTs at the moment surrounding breast don't discuss recon and I think we really do need to move towards a bit more of a, this person's got this, a picture of the person which speaks a thousand words to a plastic surgeon. Um, you know, what do they need to do? What do they need to do about the other breast? You know, so it's yeah. it's all of these things which I think really at that time we can even have a discussion at the MDT about what would be appropriate or what we feel this person could benefit from but obviously some people everything's open to them um Mm. so most of the time with the people that you're you know obviously you know who refers to you um I'll Mm. get text messages from you know some of the breast cancer surgeons saying hey I've got just seen a patient they're really keen on recon I need to get them in with you because we need to do a surgery within four weeks four to six weeks Mm. um Mm. so you know you'll then go okay right you'll call your room so you call the clinic and say get them in next available appointment um and try and sort them out so and then you'll be touching base you'll already be looking and and the sooner you know about it actually the easier it is because then I can go okay well I have a free space here they Mm. I know they operate on this day or sometimes some surgeons will have combined days as a routine so um look we have some sort of oncoplastics list where we try and get the oncologist and the plastic surgeon knowing that they're going to be in the same room at the same time, which obviously makes life a bit easier. Um, Mm. Whenever we're doing surgery that does involve the breast surgeon needing to do the mastectomy first, we always, you know, the first patient on the list so the the general surgeon can come in and perform their the the breast surgery and then they can get out if they need to. If they want to hang around and have a Mm. chat, that's fine. (laughs) Uh, Some of them do. And, look, some of them do um, contribute to that type of surgery as well. So Mm. this is where it's a little bit of a mixed bag in knowing what your breast surgeon does and what your reconstructive surgeon does and I think that the really good teams and that's where I really do think it's the team approach um, is that they they have people who they refer to regularly they work together regularly and you know it's just it becomes a much more fluid you know knowing when you're going to help the 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 patients and how do you get them into your clinics and that sort of thing so look over time that sort of morphs into a very good structure and I think you know um, obviously I mean I've been in Newcastle now for seven years but Mm. that process is still developing Um, as Mm. we try and increase we know our rates of reconstruction in this area still below what we want them to be Um, trying to get those pathways easier trying to get you know patients being able to be referred from their GP to a plastic surgeon you know I almost feel like at the point of and there's sort of contention with this but you know I think if a person is having a mastectomy they should be referred both mm. you know both mm. ways um to both breast to and both a breast and a reconstructive surgeon I think to get mm. the you know the proper information that they need to have as I said a patient may elect not to and they may say no I can't handle that and I think that's well within their rights but I think it's still you know from a referral point of view to try and increase our rates of reconstruction we really need to have that discussion we know if a patient has a discussion at the time of diagnosis they're much more likely to have reconstruction and I think for for women in the whole if I can get you through that reconstructive process in a year as opposed to three four five um Mm -hmm. you know yes the outcomes are better psychology wise you're better you feel much more adjusted um, coping with the cancer is better, you're more positive about yourself, about your relationships. Um, it has such a flow-on effect. Um, mm. So that's where I really 
feel like, yeah, it's that joint decision-making process that needs to happen very early on and we just need to mm. figure out ways of making it happen. But we know that women in the cities um, get the referral patterns a lot faster than what they do out in the regional centres and um, mm. the barriers, barriers are distance. Um, you know, mm. moving towards, I think COVID's particularly helped in terms of increasing telehealth consults. I mean, it doesn't take away from the actual laying your hands on a patient and knowing, you know, do they have a hernia? What sort of belly? How much tissue do they have? And so mm. that would still be needed. But, you know, like I said, a picture can speak a thousand words, um, you know, just in terms of what, are they, what is their breast shape now? What is their body habitus? Mm. What do I have mm. to work with? What do you have to play with? And, you know, what do you think might need to be done? But obviously that may be extended into a further second consult with the person actually with you but at least you've started the conversation you've started the thought process and the information is coming yeah so could you have the initial consult so as an as a telehealth to as a part of the information gathering Mm. to bring that information you know together um initially and then if you wanted to follow up with the second consult where you know it needs to be in person yes would that be a way that could be working for people in the um, region well that's what I think um and I also think there's a lot of where you could get the scans outside it can be reviewed by the the doctor um and then that discussion I have like when I'm talking to patients I have a powerpoint presentation that I show them of the types of reconstruction and just patients who have gone through a similar process and it shows a variety of body shapes a variety of of options, what it looks like down the line, um, what you can have mm. done, you know, what we do in certain situations, you know, complications, got pictures of what happens and some of them are like, oh, I don't want to see it. I'm like you need to know, you need all this information, you need almost like an information overload um, mm. because you need to know all the options that are there um, and that does allow them to start thinking and it allows them to start processing and it allows them to get to a, I think, a decision which they feel right for themselves. And knowing what is right for themselves and look that may change over time so we do Mm -hmm. see ladies who have gone no I couldn't handle at the time so you know I got a referral the other day bilateral mastectomies at the time you know couldn't contemplate having any reconstruction she's you know a year down the line now she's like okay I've processed my cancer diagnosis I'm now in a space where I can talk to a reconstructive surgeon she was offered it at the time um, and I think as long as they're offered it and, you know, a, a referral goes, most patients who do have that chance to talk to a surgeon will appreciate it because they feel like, okay, I've made an informed decision about all my options. I know what's out there and I can do it later if I need to, but at least I've had yeah. the choice now. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm I'm pleased you mentioned the com- the complications there. And I'm not pleased that there are complications, <laughs> but I'm, ple- I'm pleased that you mentioned it there. <laughs> Never good, no. But I think... That is, when we're talking about informed decision-making, sometimes that is about, there are three, broadly three reconstruction options. But really it's about what then sits under those, isn't it? And that includes the complications profile or what aesthetic outcomes may or may not be able to be achieved. I know uh, one of the podcasts we've done recently is with Kylie Lynch and she went seven years after having implants, she's gone to Dieppe. And part of that discussion about that was, well, one of the breasts had been, she'd had radiotherapy so it was about managing the expectations of what could be achieved yeah. and also in how many surgeries yeah. um and the timeline <laughs> for that so that is all part of the informed decision making it's not just about the three options is it it's no. about what sits underneath them too yeah because it may be like I said before you may have a bracket patient who decides to do implants initially knowing that they're gonna have a DF eventually in their lifetime but can they mm. push it back a bit can they you know put that risk or the potential complication risk back further because of other things that are going to happen in their life. Um, But by the same token, I've had patients who have come to me who have had um, implants and felt like they didn't have that informed consent and are really angry that they didn't get the chance to discuss or have that option in the first place and they felt like they were just funneled down one particular pathway. Um, Mm. And I think, um, look, sometimes it is that you have one trick in your bag and you use that trick all the time but there are it's not going to fit everybody and knowing that when you've creating when you're opening up the options to people they will choose different pathways and it's not because necessarily that the breast surgeon option with the implant-based reconstruction is not the one that's going to be good for lots of people um, but that the patients just need to know all of it um, and then make their choice and it's not actually a it's not based on how good the surgeon is. It's actually what is best for the patient. And then the surgeon performs that task, should be up to the task. 
um so yeah it's it's you know and we've not been political it's 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 purely about that I think it's just Mm. and patients I feel will make the choice that's best for them um yeah and but I do think they need all of the options um so that's where I think that discussion really comes into play and it's it's about working with um you know I, I really try up here to work with the breast surgeons and I you know they'll refer as they feel appropriate I'll say to GPs look if you feel the patient is having a mastectomy I think everybody should have a right to have a discussion and to know what their options are and then they go from Mm. there Um, and if they choose to go um, implant based I'll leave it with the breast surgeon and say are you comfortable doing that and they'll go yep all good I'll go great see you if I need to see you (laughs) you know um, and improving the rates of reconstruction is it's no skin off anybody's nose because overall there will be more patients who will benefit from having the reconstruction. I think that's really where if you get to the heart of why most doctors do what they do, it's because they honestly feel quite passionately about making women whole again and yeah. um, being being the best they can and through, you know, numerous methods. So, you know, yeah. for, for one thing that's happening now is, you know, um, one of the guys overseas is, purely doing everything through fat grafting I haven't quite gotten to that stage but um you'd have to have some decent fat elsewhere for me to take uh but you know people deciding not to go you know and you do you can do up to four sessions in Australia of fat grafting um you know are we moving down that way like I said um the tissue engineering is coming um I think Mm. that will be a really big game changer we might not need to take people's bellies to get the volume of fat which we currently need Mm. to make a breast um, you know, I, I often use um, the back and then I can fat graft the back to avoid using an implant. Um, mm. Or you may need, depending on your size of your other breast, you may need the back plus an implant if you've had radiotherapy and you can't go and implant alone. So, mm. um, yeah, but it's it's so variable. And this is what I say to patients um, is that your walk and your progression through both cancer and the reconstruction um, can be quite different and that's why I show all the risks and complications because I really feel like mm. look until you tell them all the bad bits about it how can they know you know you can't just rosy it up with the good bits <laughs> yeah absolutely. yeah it needs it needs to be a realistic it has to be a realistic decision, doesn't because, it yeah you know, yeah, yeah um odds on you'll get those patients who who will suffer a complication or who will mm. you know I guess the worst thing for us is, you know, if we lose an implant, if we lose a free flap um, and you're having to go down a different reconstructive route than what you've discussed with the patient. Um, In plastic surgery, we always talk about, you know, you've got your, what's your gold standard, you know, what you can have, and then you've got your lifeboat. So it's sort of like your get out of jail free card um, where it's something which you know will work for the majority of patients. And, you know, if something disastrous does happen, you know, Mm. I always say to patients, look, we'd probably leave it, close it up and come back another day so that we can all, you know, have you need that grieving process. You need to work through what's happened, but I can get you abreast. So also to give people hope that there's not, that we do nothing, um, if that makes sense. So I I think there's an option pretty much for, for everybody. There's very few people who cannot have a breast reconstruction. So, Mm. um, you know, we wouldn't even contemplate taking another part of a person and not putting something back. So, right. you know, yeah. um, if you have to take, you know, the ear or half of the head, you know, you have to replace what you're taking away. And mm. yet for women, we often say, oh, no, well, you know, particularly in the old days, it's like, oh, no, we're just going to take your breast off and you'll be fine. And Yeah, why do you need it? Why do you need it? It's not. Kind of, yeah, that was kind of what's the function of it well, kind of thing if you're not having, you know, yeah, yeah. that was one of and the I reasons. And I think it's it? completely yeah. minimising. And, look, I do talk to... <laughs> the women about you know if we take away um you know a testicle from a man we often put a fake one in just Mm. because they're used to having two balls yeah (laughs) so I don't see it as any different that we shouldn't apply the same logic to women and Mm. in fact I find the breasts are one it's so much more a part of us trying to fit clothing trying to fit a bra it's Mm. way more functional even than a testicle um you know Mm. where if you've got one large breast you're completely off balance you know yeah you're asymmetrical your spine your back your neck um all of those things and you know things twist on you in a weird way you can't buy clothes Mm. normally so it's and and you know people comment you know when you Mm. look down at yourself you don't feel proud about yourself you don't feel proud about the body that you're in and so there's this real mind game that people have when they have breast cancer about you know how Mm. do they feel about themselves now when they've sort of half of themselves 
um yeah, yeah I, I I did an Instagram live with um her, her handle on Instagram is Fanny, Fanny McPhee um, and Little C um, with Alison. And she was diagnosed in the UK. She's mm. from Australia, but she was diagnosed in, in the UK and um, was a, a G cup. Yeah. But they do a single mastectomy there and they they don't touch the, 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 the healthy breast. So she was left with a G cup and then she'd had a mastectomy. And she said that it almost, she'd look down and it was almost she looked at herself and it was almost as if she was a before and after in her own body yeah. and and that she found really traumatizing yeah. and she moved back to Australia and she actually had um a reduction yeah. of the G yeah. and it just transformed transformed her life she didn't have a reconstruction because um she uh actually is stage four now so yeah. the couldn't fit that in around her yeah. treatment protocols yeah. but the reduction of the g yeah she just said it just it transformed yeah. her life and the fact that the the reconstructive plastic surgeon had recommended that to yeah. her she just said i felt beautiful again yeah. i just it because as you said that whole even lying in bed with the single g yeah. was like a really it was uncomfortable yeah. for her it impacted her everyday life yeah so, I've, I've heard that quite commonly that there's Mm-hmm. A little bit of a reticence, maybe not in the younger plastic surgeons, but in the, um, I mean, sorry, breast surgeons, that they won't touch the normal breast. Um, mm-hmm. Some patients don't want it, um, but there are a lot of patients, if you actually discuss with them and say, well, look, we're going to, you are going to end up with a smaller breast. You're too big on the other side, actually. And most of them are not have been too big for a while. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the number of patients that come for breast reductions anyway. But, um, most of the time, if you talk to them, they just say, look, you will be ending up smaller. I can't actually make a nice breast up where we want it with your current one sitting down here. So we're going to have to marry the two together to get as good as we can. And I always refer to the breasts mm. as sisters, not twins. And they're never the same. Mm. But you want to try them, get them in the same ballpark, you know, like, yes. In the same family. In the same family, <laughs> you know, like you may not be exactly the same, but, you know, trying to... And it is a real functional thing, and mm. it's a yeah, it's a real mind game. If you've got this one massive breast and you've got no breast, it's it, the the mm. starkness between the two is is quite shocking. And um, I, I don't get that understanding of not touching the other breast when you're doing a cancer operation. I think it's a for me, it's a no brainer. Um, mm. Most mm. of the time, if I've got a lady who's yeah anywhere over a sort of EF cup. I'd be reducing the breast at the time of the breast surgery because you're giving them one operation and most of the time you can get them pretty equal, If particularly if you're doing, say, a wide local excision, then, then you know they're going to have radiotherapy. It's going to make everything even smaller. <laughs> so yeah. I think, yeah, just trying to marry those two up as best you can at that initial operation will hopefully maybe save them an operation later. They're still going to age and drop differently, and I do talk to patients about that as well, that a reconstructed breast will be different. Um, look, natural tissue or your own tissue ages more naturally in the same way that your natural breast will. But if you have had radiotherapy, if you've got an implant in, um, they that naturally sits higher and tighter um, and it won't droop and drop in the same way. So you may need additional procedures to your contralateral natural breast in order to keep you sort of even, Stephen, as much as you can. Um, yeah. But I think, yeah, the, the concept that, look, you're, you're aiming to get them similar, you would never get them perfect. Um, and I do say, look, we're not God. We can't create completely natural, normal breasts, but we can get it pretty damn close. Um, yeah. And so really aiming for that is, you know, what you're trying to do, but knowing that there's, you know, elements of, you know, variation mm-hmm. within that ballpark that you're trying to get them yeah but I do I do really feel like we can make people more even at the time of the surgery Um, and that thought process I think is very much changing so Mm. um, a lot of times now they will do a functional um, you know breast reduction or mammoplasty on the contralateral side to keep people as equal as we can during that time period yeah and again, all part of that initial discussion when you're having that consult with your yeah. with your with your surgeon around that. And thank you for talking about what can be discussed in that um, initial and second consult there um, in that holistic approach to that informed decision making. Um, it's all really important. And I and I love how you stepped out as well that, you know, it might be a decision. You might be looking at a longer term uh you know, results, but it might be we've got a short-term temporary kind of solution to get to that longer-term result yeah. depending on what's happening in people's lives. And that's a lot of information that, you know, it's a two-way discussion, as we mentioned, and that you're um, you're giving information to the patient. And I was wondering, 
though as well, what can the patient ask the plastic surgeon? Because we've talked about some of the new techniques that are coming around. And I know when we talked to uh, Dr. Cindy Mack and uh, Dr. Joe Dusseldorp about uh, resensation, we talked about, um, you know, the risks in a new in the new technique. Mm. But and having a discussion, I think, with a plastic surgeon around the complication profile for that seems quite comfortable. But when you're talking about maybe some of the techniques that have been around a little bit longer, what can we ask plastic surgeons about that as patients? Because I, I guess I always wanted to ask, well, how many of these have you done? But yeah. It felt like a really, it felt like a really impertinent question to ask, like kind of, and it wasn't that I was questioning it was just a reassurance. I don't know, yeah. but I didn't feel that I could ask it. What questions do you think patients can ask and should be able to ask, really? Well, I think it, it is hard because even as a, a young surgeon, you've got to start somewhere. And look, yes. <laughs> you know, I, I remember when I first came here and, you know, people would do it whether you're doing a rhinoplasty or a face or a breast reduction or an mm. implant, you know, and you say, okay, well, yeah, I've gone through my training program and I've done this. And, you know, everybody will have their own learning curve when they come out as a consultant. Um, mm. So I don't think it's unreasonable to ask the question, but by the same token, you've got to think, well, you know, they may be younger and they may actually be able to have newer techniques or they've developed techniques to during their training that the older guys don't have, um, you know, so mm. a lot of the older guys here don't do the free flaps anymore. You know, they, mm. they go, they've moved away from, they're like, no, it's too stressful. <laughs> you know, I want to have a glass of wine at night and sit in front of the telly. Um, but I think it's, it's yeah, it's, it's not necessarily going to be how many they've done because everybody will have a learning curve. And just even if they haven't done that many, it doesn't necessarily mean they're, they're going to be a bad surgeon. Um, so, mm -hmm. and some of the newer techniques may give a better outcome. So, um, you know, like some of the older surgeons won't be using the acellular dermal matrices or won't be doing a prepectoral implant, whereas a lot of the younger guys will be um, and will be getting great results. You know, their, their skin envelopes will be a bit different to the old guys who have gone through the sort of the traditional mastectomy um, now following the sort of more um, the, the tissue planes. Um, so, look, just because a person is newer at it and they've come out doesn't mean that they're not well-trained and they're not going to provide you with good quality care and good quality outcomes. Mm -hmm. So it's a tricky question for us to answer as well, like just as tricky as it is for the, the patient to ask that <laughs> question. Uh, we at the same time are going, well, what do I say to this person? I'm a good surgeon. What can I say? I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. okay. Do you think it? You know, <laughs> do you think it's more about what is the risk associated with this, or what? You know, how many? For instance, we talk about flap. You know, yeah. how many flap failures? What's your what's the failure rate? Maybe. Yeah. But even like, yeah, because when you're coming out as a surgeon, you will have that a natural. So look, um, you know. I'll look at, I know all my free flat failures, you know, they stick with you, they're little albatrosses that you grab around your neck and you know every single <laughs> yeah. one of them because you've gone through that process with them. But also as you go on, you do get more experienced and you probably pick up the little things a bit faster. You might go, oh, no, that's not right and you'll redo it. Or um, So, look, there's a certain amount of experience, but, you know, everybody's going to have the learning curve and everybody needs to get to that, otherwise we won't have enough surgeons doing it either. Mm. So, mm. Um, you know. It, yeah, it's a balancing act and I, I can understand patients going, oh, I want to go to the best. And look, everybody has been trained through a very rigorous training program and have gone through and they should have had all their ticks and their crosses all done um, before they come out as a consultant. And look, even before I can, became a consultant, I'd been operating for 10 years. You know, had all those flaps been yeah. my flaps? No, until I became the lead consultant. But if you look at the number of flaps that I'd done in my career, you know, you can add all of those up. Did I keep a tally of all of those? No, I kept them since I was a consultant. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's, it's um, yeah, I can understand people asking the question, but it is a difficult question to answer because, you know, just as much as I take you on by faith as a patient that you'll do what I say, you know, it, it, the vice versa, you know, like I've been burnt by patients who have said they'd, do something and they don't or you know they say mm. they've stopped smoking and they haven't and then half mm. of my flap dies because they're still smoking and they've you know I've got a partial flap loss you know because they've yeah. cut down the vascularity to the flap and that's not due to my technique that's due to mm. what they're putting into their body so mm. um, it, it's a difficult balancing act because you have to have trust between you and the patient but vice versa I have to trust you as a patient to operate yeah. on you and if if I don't feel 
right about a patient where I feel like I'm not on the same wavelength and that we don't have the same understanding or um, you don't feel like you can give that patient what they are perceiving they want, then sometimes you have mm. to go, look, I don't think we're right for each other. Um, mm. We're not on the same page and, you know, mm. I don't, even if something small happens, perhaps you won't be happy and then you will blame me. Um, and mm. it may not have been anything due to the surgical technique. So yeah. um, it's, a, it's a tricky discussion, I agree. Um, yeah. And I think it's yeah one thing that you definitely have to feel comfortable with the surgeon that you're working with. And it may be that um, I have had patients who have gone to other surgeons and then they've come to see me or vice versa. I'm sure there's patients who have seen me and gone, no, nah, don't like her, <laughs> go to another person. Um, yeah, and you can get a second opinion. You can get you? a second That's opinion. And, and surgeons aren't worried about that, are no. you? You're not worried. You want the. It's about patient outcomes yeah. and what's best for them. And yeah. the thing is that you need to find someone that you feel you can trust and that you feel you can talk to because when things go bad you're going to be having a lot of discussions so you need to be able to talk to yeah. the person you need to feel like they listen to what you're saying that they understand your concerns and look they may not always be able to fix it there are people who have actually had to say I don't feel like I can do anymore you know we've reached the end of the road and yeah. you know I've had one lady where I've had to say look I don't think I can do any reconstruction for you anymore you know she mm. had radiotherapy you know she had really bad scarring we've tried everything I, her belly's not suitable to operate on um and you know the comorbidities that she's got is just not worth her her risk or mm. the heartache that will potentially come from it yeah. so there are times when you do have to turn around and say look I don't think we can continue and I don't think that reconstruction is going to be in your best interest and um, or if I feel like that patient may be treated by somebody who has more experience or, you know, maybe has, you know, I will definitely ring up um, colleagues. Um, you know, I've got a couple of um, breast recon colleagues and uh, lots of other colleagues and I choose them for whatever the I'm doing at the time. Yeah. But, you know, you have your phone a friend, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> and I ring them up and I say, look, this is my problem. You know, I'll send them mm. pictures. I'll say, what would you do? You know, like I've mm. discussed this. I'm thinking this, but I'm not really sure. Is there anything that I need to watch out for? Is there any tips or tricks you can give me? Um, you know, or should I just be pulling out and going, actually, no, I shouldn't be doing this. So, and mm. you do learn things over time. So, you know, there are some patients that I think, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. You know, um, and that's the reality of any any situation that you go into and any um, procedure that you do. There will be ones that you know are going to be a home run and there are ones where you're like, there's a bit of a risk here. Is the patient mm. and me willing to take it to see whether it's going to work? Um, because mm. sometimes, you know, if they are really scarred, if they've had a lot of radiotherapy, if they have some comorbidities that may not be ideal, um, but you still think, I still probably can get them over the line. Like, you know, it's mm. got to be a pretty good risk to do yeah. that. And the patient needs to be understanding of it. But by the same token, as I said before, generally we'll have a lifeboat as well. So, if yeah. I am really going, okay, look, this is our best option, but if it doesn't work and you still want a breast reconstruction, this is what I will do uh, to, yeah. to give you a breast. So there's it, it is sort of there's levels of risk, obviously, as we go mm. through different procedures and that's part of the discussion. But it's also understanding that, you know, you, you'll have situations where you may change what you do based on mm. the patient's preference, your your feeling about the situation, what you're faced with. Um, and it, it is like any other situation in life. Like when you're choosing a car, you'll have your budget, you'll have the car that you really want, you'll have the backup car, and then you'll have the, mm. you know, okay, if everything goes to pot, this is this is what I'm going to do, you know. But you may have yeah. problems along the way. Like you might buy your dream car and then mm. the brakes go or they have a fault within the electricals or something like that. So mm. it, it's, you know, that's a really good, I like the car analogy, just because, you know, yeah, things okay. go wrong with cars. We all know that we they keep do. on paying for them. <laughs> you know, you get they the do. one that you pay a lot of money. Yeah, you start off with the basic model and you move your way up or, you know, sometimes the really expensive one is the one that causes you the most amount of grief and you think, why didn't I buy the Toyota, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think, um, so, yeah, there's the, there's all those things which I think, you know, sometimes it, it's easy to look at a surgeon's experience or at their um, and, you know, go, oh, well, so I should have gone to that guy who's done 50 gazillion of them. But by the same token, mm. the person who's starting out who has gone and done a subspecialty training and they've done their time and they've, they're a really good, solid surgeon, they will try and provide you with the best care possible. And, 
yeah, it's 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 that really balancing act that you know people yeah. think they're going to get the Rolls Royce if they go to the top notch surgeon, but even Rolls Royces yeah. fall off the perch. Well, they, yeah, they lose a wheel. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and and I and I and I like that how you've explained that as well. I mean, I think it for me what I was thinking about there was that you know moving on from it's the shared decision making at the beginning, but that sharedness continues, doesn't yeah. it? Whether it's because something <laughs> hasn't happened, you know, sorry whether it's something that, that hasn't gone to plan or has happened that you didn't expect to happen, you're still having that dialogue. But I also th- always thought about it myself was that my surgeons were doing their job and I had a bit of a job to do myself yeah. in the way of preparing or looking after myself after surgery mm. that, you know, within the confines of what I could do, especially around my cancer treatment, that that was, that was my job as well, that I had some responsibility in yeah. that to try and get the best result that we could do after that. So I think that sharedness, which I think is what you've explained there mm. of the, of the, of the, um, of the experience of the uh, surgery and the recovery and the both being on the same page yeah. in in how you're going to work for it is is a really great way is a really great way of looking at it and yeah it is a tricky I, you know I've, I've I've never asked a surgeon <laughs> I just but I know that you know it is a it is it is a concern there and there's just um we may go on to talk about it but it, it's you know that the amount of training that you do beforehand mm. like you said before you come as a consultant it's not you haven't just rocked up have you no <laughs> just, no it's been all, a long time all of a sudden yeah yeah and it's um one thing I find as well is, you know, there are things that we don't account for in the you and me is your background genetics as well. So, you know, like there are some patients that I see that, um, you know, even when they come back for like little touch-ups and things like that, you know, some people will stay exactly where you put them and then other people will like blah, 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 and they've just got no, you know, and, and this can happen with implants, this can happen with their free flaps and it's really how people's um, you know, their collagen, how they stay where you put them and how they heal. And, you know, sometimes I just find there's so many variables that we can't even control for. Like there's certain things mm-hmm. that I can. I can get you through the surgery, you'll heal, and then what happens happens sometimes, you know, and you can't always yeah. explain it. And um, it, it's, again, it's not that the surgeon has necessarily done anything wrong. Um, and yeah. I, I think it's pr- – a part of our human nature that we try and find a reason for why things happen um but just knowing you know your, your mm-hmm. cancer diagnosis just happened it's not because you did anything bad or that you ate strawberries or you know it's just there's yeah. so many things that just happen in life and um I guess rolling with the punches and knowing that everybody's trying to do their best and yeah it, it's there's yeah. life life happens yeah yeah it does. And you're all on the you're all on the same team. You're all yeah. looking for that, that outcome, the best outcome that can be possibly yeah. achieved, but it becomes, you know, part of the individualized care. It does. As you said, very just much so. we are very individual. So uh thank you, Dr. Kirsten. Um I've loved having this chat with you today <laughs> about all the different aspects and especially the history. I could really, I could really get into into looking to that. But thank you for educating me that um plastics is not about plastic (laughs) I'm always learning and I thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge with us and yeah the real insights into how those discussions can happen and and and, um, evolve both with your plastic reconstructive plastic surgeon and with your breast surgeon as well so thank you so much for for joining us today so as listeners will know, I do ask guests to share a lyric or a line from a song or a poem that either means something to them or to the topic that we've been talking about. So Dr. Kirsten, on this this lovely winter's day, you don't have to sing, it's okay. <laughs> what, what, uh, what line would you like to share with listeners? Well, I guess... Well, the one that I have on my website, which really I felt sort of, I do really feel it's one thing that I try to say to my patients is that just aspire to be your best. It's not particularly a, um, you know, it's not on a jingle or a poem or anything like no. that, but it's I, I do really feel like that people have a right to feel proud about their bodies and feel mm. Uh, safe and secure and feel whole again so um, Mm. you know the other one that we thought about was you know that whole again from the atomic kittens (laughs) but I wasn't going to sing that one 
No, you don't have to sing. Honestly, you don't have to sing. There is no expectation to sing. I think we might have guests in the future who are thinking of singing, but you don't have to sing again. But yeah, yeah that, um, and they're from the UK as well, yeah, so yeah. I know. You know, I know them, yeah. Right so, era. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think those are the two things that um, yeah. probably for breast reconstruction really hit home um, is that you do have a right to feel whole again and you do have a mm. right to try and get to the best that you can be. Um, mm. So that's why you yeah, aspire to be your best um, is sort of the, the motto of our, our practice and um, yeah. allowing people to feel comfortable that it's okay to think that you want to actually feel better about yourself and it's not being vain because there's a lot of women who come in and they're really concerned that they're just doing something silly. They, they shouldn't mm. be worried about it and, you know, they've had the cancer and it's been removed and they, you know, they should still feel happy about themselves. And it's, I had one lady who I consulted on the other day who um, she said it hadn't bothered her for years. She's now five years mm. post. And she said, but one of the comments from her grandkids is what actually made her start thinking. And she actually finally got to the point of going, actually, it does bother me. And I mm. don't like feeling like this. Like she probably just squished it down and thought, mm. oh, don't don't be silly, don't worry about it. And I think also as it is very much in the female psyche to do that as well. We tend to think, oh, there's other things that are more important. You know, you've got to do this or you've got to do that or, you know, if you've got kids, you've just got to get through and, you know, get the kids grown up and sort them out and then you'll worry about yourself. So often we put ourselves to the back burner. Um, we mm. delay things. We think, oh, not now, not now. It, it, there's too much going on now and I can't have you, you put yourself at the bottom of the list of when you actually want to get things sorted so we do see a whole lot of women who as they come through they get to a point of going actually I am valuable and I am worthwhile mm. feeling whole about myself and this is not a vanity thing this is not a um you know are you being precious about having your breast back or feeling more normal um and that's why I, I like to say to people that it's actually okay and it's okay mm. that you want to come and feel better about yourself it's not vanity it's not um something that you have to be ashamed of um because mm. I think a lot of women do feel that and um you know I do encourage them to bring you know if they've got partners or um, mm. people, you know, even if, you know, even if they don't have a partner in their life at, at that time, um, you know, sometimes even going through the cancer diagnosis, people will have fallen away or they've, you know, marriage breakups and things like that still to bring mm. a significant other in their life who can support mm. them through the process. It's another set of ears, but I also think it's really important to have other people backing you up in terms of going through the reconstruction because you would need people to help pick you up on the days when you feel pretty crap. Um, yeah. and you're going through the hard points post-surgery, um, but I, I just don't think people should, um, women should blame themselves for wanting to have a reconstruction and um, it, it is possible for most people. And I, I would like yeah. to see our rates get higher and, I would, you know, particularly in my area, mm. you know, where we cover a big regional and rural um, mm. basis and I had an Aboriginal lady from out near Tamworth come and see me and She'd had a bilateral mastectomy more than five years ago. It was never offered reconstruction. And it was only when she happened to go and see her GP about um, she had an adrenal tumour. Um, and that that doctor actually also does had done breast um, surgery as well. So she was a breast endocrine uh, surgeon. And she said, um, mm. has anyone ever spoken to you about, you know, breast reconstruction? And she burst into tears. And she said, oh no one had ever asked her if she wanted her breast back they just all assumed pretty much that because she was from the country uh you know ab the aboriginal they may have played a part into it as well as you know it might have been too hard for for her or whatever but she said no one actually ever asked her so I think asking you know mm. at least like I said it's the option and once they have the option then it's their choice but I really you know like that really struck home for me is that you can't decide for somebody what they want and this for everyone I see is a, a basic you know to to feel whole again um to be able to be the best part of themselves so they can go out to life they can look in the mirror even if it's just themselves like half the time the women will say oh, look I'm not going to show them off to anybody they're just for me yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's, and you that's, know that's okay bugger yeah. everybody else yeah um, but I think that's the really important thing is having that giving the women the power and the self-confidence mm. to say this is important to me and I know yeah. it's going to make me have that feel better about what's happened to my body 
it mm. gives them empowerment. And again, this is happening in a lot of movements throughout, you know, the Me Too, the, the standing up for what we feel is right for our bodies and knowing that we do have power over our bodies, how we feel about ourselves and what we want to happen with our bodies. And I see this as an extension of that process um, that is mm. happening in society as a whole. Um, and it's really important. It's it's really important for us to have equity. We need to have access and we need to have a quality of care. Um, mm. So, you know, we, we do fight in, um, you know, we're trying to change things within our area health. We have lower rates of reconstruction compared to, say, Melbourne, um, mm. purely because of the access um, and that, you know, in, a, in some people's minds, it's not seen as being as important as yeah. other forms of surgery. So, mm. um, but we do know from evidence-based medicine that a breast reconstruction is actually better in terms of quality of life than a knee reconstruction. So even if you compare, yeah. you know, similar forms of, you know, surgery, the cost of the health budget, you know, all of these things, um, you know, you've got things that are actually comparable or even that breast reconstruction is better, you know, and, you know, how is that funded from a public health perspective and to know that for, for a woman that she should be able to go and she should be able to ask those questions. She should be able to have yeah. access and to a free discussion about what are her options. And, you know, if yeah. I can get that through to everybody, I'd be quite happy. <laughs> yeah. I think you're getting it through perfectly yeah. and absolutely with you there. I mean, there are obviously the challenges around um, equity of access mm. to the procedure, but I think we've got to come back and just go, let's have equity of access to the discussion and yeah. the choices are being and the information being presented yeah. there. And that includes the discussions with breast surgeons and reconstructive plastic surgeons as well. So thank you so much, Dr. Kirsten. I think that's a perfect, um, both a perfect quote. So on that <laughs> yeah. and I think um well it is isn't it it's about the best and as you said you know the, the results may differ depending on an individual's genetics you know treatment path that they've had or, or whatever so it's about it's about looking towards the best and then that also comes down to individual choice of what somebody wants to achieve isn't it their results yeah. as you say might be about how they look in the mirror it's not necessarily about anybody else and it's about what they they want so I think they're they're perfect yeah um Perfect quotes. Thank you so much. And thank uh -huh. you so much again for joining us today. I know um, that you're uh, getting ready to go on a holiday and obviously there's lots of work that needs to be done before you can go and do that. And you found time to chat with me and to chat with the listeners. So I really do appreciate that. Thank you so very much. It's been fabulous to talk to you today. No worries. So thanks again, Dr. Kirsten. Um, and thank you to listeners for listening uh, as always, please let me know if there's any topics that you would like me to cover again in the future. I think there's actually lots that we could unpack from today's discussion with Dr. Kirsten. Um, but drop me a line on socials or, you know, you can comment on Spotify. And as always, please rate, share, follow and review. Let me know what you think and let others know what you think um, about this independent podcast. And that just leaves me to say thanks again, Dr. Kirsten. And thank you to everybody for listening. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Rewritten Me podcast, produced on the traditional lands of the Camaray Gal people of the Gurungai tribe of the Eora Nation. If you found any of the content upsetting, please reach out and get help. Breast Cancer Network Australia have a free confidential helpline, 1800 500 258. And Beyond Blue have a range of free resources online at beyondblue.org.au or you can call them on 1300 224 636. And a reminder that the information in this podcast does not constitute medical advice. For personalised medical advice, you should seek a consult with a FRAX qualified surgeon or an equally qualified surgeon in your country.